Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Dumb Witness, where an elderly spinster has been poisoned in her country home. Everyone blamed Emily's accident on a rubber ball left on the stairs by her frisky terrier. But the more she thought about her fall, the more convinced she became that one of her relatives was trying to kill her. On April 17th, she wrote her suspicions in a letter to Hercule Poirot. Mysteriously, he didn't receive the letter until June 28th, by which time Emily was already dead. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Emily Arundel had tripped and fallen downstairs. An accident, everyone said. She must have slipped on her dog's ball, which he often left at the top of the stairs. But the old lady knew better, and she disinherited all her immediate family. She had written to me a letter which I did not receive until after her death. She had been suffering from a persistent liver complaint, but Poirot was convinced it was murder, and that one of the family must be responsible. John Moffat as Hercule Poirot, and Simon Williams as Captain Hastings in Agatha Christie's Dumb Witness. Miss Arundel had left the whole of her considerable fortune to her companion, Miss Wilhelmina Lawson. And so Poirot went round the nieces and the nephew who had expected to benefit, giving them the impression that he might be able to contest the will for them. Teresa and Charles Arundel took the bait straight away. But Benetanios, staying in the rather run-down Durham Hotel, looked ill at ease and rather suspicious. But why exactly have you come to see me, Monsieur Poirot? I have been talking to your cousins Charles and Teresa Arundel, Mrs. Tanyos, and I want to know whether you would be prepared to join them in taking action against Miss Lawson. But surely that's not possible, is it? My husband consulted a firm of lawyers, I believe, who advised against it. I should have to talk to him. Ah, but what are your own feelings in the matter? I really don't know. It depends so much on my husband. He's out at the moment, taking the children for a walk. Yes, but you yourself. What do you think, madame? I don't think I like the idea very much. If Aunt Emily chose to leave her money away from the family, I suppose we must put up with it. Is it possible she may have been unduly influenced by Miss Lawson? I don't see Aunt Emily being influenced by anybody, particularly by Miss Lawson, who was, well, nothing very much. That's why I think to go to law might be rather undignified and spiteful. Perhaps I should tell you that I am a detective. Oh? And shortly before she died, Emily Arundel wrote me a letter. A letter? About my husband? Ah, I'm afraid I'm not at liberty to answer that question. Then it was about my husband. I can assure you that whatever it was, it would have been entirely untrue. Obviously, Charles and Teresa must have said something to her about him. And Aunt Emily was prejudiced because he was not an Englishman. When did you last see Emily Arundel? Must have been about ten days before she died. Was that the time you were there with your cousins, Mrs. Tanius? No, that was the weekend before, at Easter. So you and Dr. Tanius were there the weekend after Easter as well? Yes, we were. Did she say anything to you about having changed her will? No, nothing. And her attitude towards you was just the same as usual? Yes, it was. 
And as regards your husband, was there any alteration in her manner towards him? Well, yes. She was suddenly more distant, and she behaved rather oddly. There was a special digestive mixture he recommended. He even went to the chemist to get it made up. And I actually saw Aunt Emily pouring it away down the sink. Well, that was a bit odd. I thought it most ungrateful. Oh, that must be my husband. Did you have a good walk, darling? This morning we did not have a walk. I took them on the omnibus for the first time in their lives. I must say, my first sight of Dr. Tanios was rather a shock. I had been picturing to myself a swarthy, rather sinister foreigner. But he was comfortably rotund with a neat little brown beard and full of cheerful good humour. He spoke English perfectly. Poirot? Monsieur Hercule Poirot? But I know the name well. Needless to say, Mrs. Tanyos didn't bother to introduce her husband to me. It's about the will, Jacob. Monsieur Poirot has been conferring with Teresa and Charles. An iniquitous document. I'm certain that will was made when the old lady was not responsible for what she was doing. That Lawson woman is clever and cunning. But perhaps you do not agree, madame. Miss Lawson has always been very kind, and I wouldn't call her clever. She's been kind to you because she has nothing to fear from you, Bella. But with me it was different. I'll give you an instance, gentlemen. Bella's aunt had a fall down the stairs when we were staying there. I insisted on coming back the following weekend to see how she was. Miss Lawson did her utmost to prevent me going to her room. It was clear she wanted Miss Arundel to herself. You were also at Market Basing, I think, the weekend before Miss Arundel's death. Quite right. We were there at Easter and the weekend after that. No, no, no. I mean the following weekend. You were there on the Sunday, I think, Dr. Tanyos. Were you, Jacob? Well, you can't have forgotten. I drove down in the afternoon. I told you all about it. Of course. I remember now. Teresa and Charles Arundel were there also, I believe. They may have been. I didn't see them. You did not stay long, then? Not more than half an hour. Uh, I may as well tell you I was hoping to get alone. But I'm afraid the old lady didn't take to the idea. May I ask you a question, Dr. Tenuous? Certainly, Monsieur Poirot. What is your opinion of Charles and Teresa Arundel? To be perfectly frank with you, I think they're rotten to the core. Charles can't help it. He's a likable rogue with no moral sense, but Teresa is quite ruthless. She'd kill anyone who stood in her way. It's in her blood. You may have heard that her mother was tried for murder. And acquitted. As you say. But it makes you wonder sometimes. Mm-hmm. And now you must excuse us, Captain Hastings, and I have another appointment. Thank you both. You have been most amiable. We delayed for a moment or two in the hall of the hotel. Poirot went into the telephone booth, and I waited for him by the porter's desk. Captain Hastings, your friend, Monsieur Poirot, has he gone? He's making a telephone call. Do you want to speak to him? Yes, I... Uh... Ah, Madame Tenuous. Where are you looking for me? Monsieur Poirot, there is something I must tell you. Yes, madame. You see, my husband... Having a last word with Monsieur Poirot, Bella? Yes. I just want you to tell Teresa, Monsieur Poirot that I will back her up in anything she decides to do. I quite see that the family must stand together. Goodbye. You know, Poirot, that wasn't what she started to say at all. She changed her mind the moment her husband appeared. Why? Ah, I wish I knew. 
That woman has something on her mind. She obviously knows something. Oh, you have changed, my friend. You are no longer cynically amused, indulging me in my investigation. What has suddenly made you take this matter seriously? Mrs. Tanios looked afraid. Yes, you are quite right. But why? Am I disturbing the sleeping dogs? Am I prompting the murderer to strike again? So, what do we do now? We return to Market Basing. But first, we must call at my apartment. There should be a letter from Teresa Arundel. That was why I telephoned. A letter of introduction to Emily Arundel's solicitor. The letter was there, awaiting us, as was Charles Arundel, who had brought it. I had the distinct impression he had been snooping around. Well, I hope you had better luck with old Purvis than we did. In his opinion, the Lawson woman was legally entitled to every penny, and there wasn't a thing we could do about it. Have you and your sister never considered an appeal to the lady's finer feelings? I did consider it, but for some unaccountable reason, Miss Lawson didn't seem to care for me. Is it true that you threatened your aunt about her will, told her that you'd bump her off? Now, how did you find that out? No matter. Is it true? Well, yes, I suppose. I'd been attempting a touch. Aunt Emily was not enthusiastic about being parted from her money, and I told her if she went on like that, she'd end up by getting bumped off. Thank you, Charles, she said, but I think you'll find I'm well able to look after myself. And so you contented yourself with a few pounds you found in a drawer. I really do take my hat off to you, Monsieur Poirot. Mm -hmm. How did you get hold of that extraordinary piece of information? Miss Lawson told us. Oh, the sly old pussycat. And I suppose she told you about the conversation with Aunt Emily. But I wouldn't really have put strychnine in, in the old dear's soup. And so, once again, we took the road to Market Basing, stopping off for Poirot to have a word with Mr Purvis. The new will had come as a complete surprise to him. He had even tried to advise Miss Arundel against it. We put up at the George again for the night, where the asthmatic waiter served us a thoroughly bad dinner. Poirot was terribly tiresome about the soup. But it is so easy to make a good soup. Let me explain, Hastings. When we visited Little Green House the following morning, Bob was absolutely overjoyed to see me and insisted on taking me off for a tour of the garden. Leaving me free to have a quiet word with Ellen about Miss Arundel's collection of medicines. The old lady seemed to have been particularly attached to some totally useless patent liver capsules. I say, Poirot, I've just been having a word with the gardener, and he says his tin of weed killer is practically empty. And what does that signify, my friend? Well, apparently Charles Arundel was always hanging around the garden shed when he was down here. He even wanted to know what kind of weed killer the gardener used. And what was it? Arsenic. And do you remember the way Charles did a kind of hesitation before he said strychnine? Obviously, he wanted to avoid saying arsenic. Do you think that's what killed the old lady? Unfortunately, Hastings, all her symptoms were those of the liver disease from which she was suffering. Yeah, but her death can't possibly have been natural. She must have been poisoned. <laughs> it seemed that Hastings and I had changed places. I went into the chemist's shop and bought a packet of the patent liver pills to which Emily Arundel had been so attached. A very good preparation, sir. You'll find them most efficacious. Miss Arundel used to take them, I believe. Indeed she did, sir. 
A fine lady, one of the old school. Did she take many patent medicines? Not as many as her companion, Miss Lawson. All kinds of pills and lozenges she had. Dyspepsia tablets, digestive mixtures... Did Miss Arundel take her liver capsules regularly? Oh, yes. She'd been having them for three months before she died. Now, a relation of hers, a Dr. Tanyos, came in to have a mixture made up here, I believe. Yes, the foreign gentleman that married Miss Arundel's niece. A very interesting combination of drugs, it was. Did his wife come in here at all? Only once. She wanted a sleeping draught. Chloral, it was. I remember it because the prescription was for a double quantity. Doctors don't usually prescribe so much at a time. Whose prescription was it? Oh, Dr. Tanyos had signed it. It was quite in order, but we always have to be careful because if a doctor makes a mistake and we make up the prescription, we're the ones who get the blame. While we were having breakfast the following morning, a note arrived by hand. It is from Miss Lawson. She wishes us to call on her at Little Green House. What's she doing down here? I didn't mean to put you to any trouble, Monsieur Poirot. But when I arrived yesterday evening, Ellen told me of your visit, and I wondered... You wondered what I was doing down here? Yes, that's exactly it. I must make a confession to you, mademoiselle. You assumed that the letter I received from Miss Arundel concerned itself with the stolen money. But that was not the case. Then what was it about? It was about her accident. Her accident? We understand she fell downstairs. But why should that concern you? Monsieur Poirot is sometimes concerned with accidental deaths. Uh, but I still don't understand. The cause of the accident was supposed to be Bob's ball. There's no supposed about it. I saw it there myself. You saw it, yes, perhaps. But it was not the cause of the accident. The cause of the accident, Miss Lawson, was a dark-coloured thread stretched about a foot above the top of the stairs. But I can't... I can't believe it. You, you mean somebody did it on purpose? Oh, yes. And if that somebody had succeeded... It would have been murder. How horrible. A nail was hammered into the skirting board so that the thread could be attached to it, and it was varnished so as not to show. Oh, my Lord. Of course. You mean it really happened? What was it, mademoiselle? Did you see something? I thought I must have imagined it. Tell us, Miss Lawson. It was on the night of the Easter Bank holiday. I was lying awake. It had been such a trying day. There'd barely been enough cold beef to go round at supper. And I was just starting to drop off when I heard a sort of tapping noise from outside my room. And I sat up in bed. And I saw her in the glass. Saw whom? Well, I always keep my door a little open at night so I can see the top of the stairs in my wardrobe mirror just in case Miss Arundel were to go down in the night. And what did you see, Miss Lawson? She was kneeling on the third stair from the top with her head down. I thought she must have slipped or dropped something. And then she got up and went away. But who was it? It was Teresa. You are sure of that? It was dark. And you could only see her reflection in the mirror. There was a light on in the far corner of the landing. But how could you be so sure it was Teresa Arundel? She was in that dark green dressing gown with the big shining brooch she wears. It has her initials on it. I saw it quite plainly. You saw her initials? Yes. The brooch is in the form of a big T-A. She often wears it. I could swear to it being Teresa. And I will swear to it in court, if necessary. 
Depeche on no Hastings. We must return to London at once. Do you really believe it was Teresa she saw in the glass? No, she seemed completely certain, although... Yes, but... Uh, did it strike you there was something that was wrong in what she said? Wrong? In what way? Ah, that is just it. I do not know. Something... something that was impossible... But let us waste no time. Theresa Arundel may have some perfectly plausible reason for being on the stairs that night, but there can be no doubt that she is a woman who would not hesitate to commit murder if it served her purpose. But when we arrived at Poirot's apartment, his manservant George told us that Dr. Tanius was waiting in the study and that a lady had called that morning in a state of great distress and had gone away again. It can only have been Mrs. Tanius. Now, why could she not have waited? But do not let Dr. Tanyas know of this. We are dealing with a very delicate situation here, my friend. You must forgive me for forcing my way in like this. Oh, pardon too. Please sit down, Doctor. I have come because I am worried, terribly worried, about my wife. I'm very sorry to hear that. I thought perhaps you might have seen her. Not since we left her at the hotel with you yesterday. I thought perhaps she might have called upon you, Monsieur Poirot. We've been out of town all day. I am afraid she is on the verge of a complete nervous breakdown. She is suffering from some form of persecution mania, and it occurred to me that she might have come to you with some extraordinary tale or other. She may conceivably believe she is in danger from me. But why should she come to me, Doctor? You are a celebrated detective. I could see my wife was very impressed at meeting you. She might have come to you with all sorts of unlikely tales. And you've no idea where she's got to she left the hotel early this morning while I was out, taking the children with her. If she should come here, I would be obliged if you would let me know at once. Of course. You have my deepest sympathy. Goodbye, then. Uh, by the way, Doctor. Yes, Monsieur Porrell. Do you ever prescribe chloral for your wife? I may have done in the past, but not lately. She seems to have taken an aversion to any form of sleeping draught. In her present mental condition, she is probably suspicious of anything you offer her to eat or drink. I fear that may be so. Well, do not let me detain you any longer. You may find your wife waiting for you when you return. But when Poirot telephoned the hotel a few minutes later, he was told that Mrs. Tanyos had sent a taxi for all her luggage, but had left no forwarding address. I will leave instructions with George that if Mrs. Tanyos returns, he must try and persuade her to remain here, but on no account to let Dr. Tanyos in. And now we had better hear what Miss Teresa Arundel has to say for herself. Oh, I haven't the faintest idea what she's talking about. She must be loopy. So why were you kneeling on the stairs, Mademoiselle? I wasn't kneeling on the stairs. I never came out of my room after I went to bed on any night I was staying there. But Miss Lawson says she recognised you. Then she's a liar. She recognised your dressing gown and the brooch you were wearing. Do I look like the kind of frump who'd wear a brooch on her dressing gown? What brooch was it anyway? A brooch with your initials on it. Oh, I know the one. Do you have the brooch here with you now, mademoiselle? I haven't worn it for ages. She'll be here somewhere. They're selling them all over London now. Every little skivvy has one. Was it expensive? I don't wear cheap jewellery. They were quite exclusive to begin with. Here you are. Hmm. It is certainly very distinctive. And the TA is quite unmistakable. Mm. Could you hold the brooch against your dress and stand by the mirror? If you wish. 
Like this? Thank you, mademoiselle. And now, if that's all, I'd like you to go. Um, there is a possibility that the body of your aunt may be exhumed. Is this your doing? It can't happen without the permission of the family. On the contrary, it can be done on an order from the Home Office. But there are ways of avoiding such a contingency. Then avoid it. Avoid it at all costs. Do anything you can to stop it. And now get out of here. And take St. Leonard's with you. <laughs> Poirot seemed inordinately amused by what I considered a particularly stupid joke. What's so funny about St. Leonard's being next to Hastings? Ah, <laughs> oh. uh, Miss Hedrosa. <laughs> St. Leonard's. <laughs> the following morning, I came down to find him at his writing table, scribbling busily away. Um, A little moment, mon ami. It is nearly finished. There. Could you kindly pass me that envelope? What have you been writing? An account of the case to be placed in safekeeping in case somebody bumps you off? <laughs> you know, Hastings, you are not far from the truth. Is our murderer about to get dangerous? A murderer is always dangerous. Any news of Mrs. Tanyos? Her husband telephoned early this morning to say he has been unable to trace her anywhere. And now we must be going. Where to? To the apartment of Miss Lawson in Clanroyden Mansions. She returned there yesterday evening. What are you going to say to her? That, mon ami, you will hear in due course. More lies, I suppose? Oh, you really can be quite offensive sometimes, Hastings. Anybody would think I enjoyed telling lies. <laughs> I'd rather think you do. In fact, I'm sure of it. Well, it is true I sometimes congratulate myself on my ingenuity. Oh, thank goodness it's you. Bella's here. She turned up half an hour ago with the children. Completely exhausted, poor soul. Really, I don't know what to do about it. Does her husband know she's here? Gracious, no. And she says nothing will ever induce her to go back to him. She has confided in you? Well, not really. She won't say anything very much. She spent last night in a little hotel near Paddington. But she can't stay here. This flat's much too small for her well, and the children. Well, couldn't you send her to Market Basing? I suppose I could. But her husband might think of that. I've got her rooms at the Wellington Hotel in Queen's Road under the name of Mrs Peters. I would like to see her. She called at my apartment yesterday morning, but I was out. I didn't know that. I'll tell her you're here. If you would be so kind. Bella, my dear, Monsieur Poirot is here. Will you come and see him? Yes, of course. Monsieur Poirot, I wanted to talk to you. Yes, madame. No, I, I daren't. He's sure to find out. Who will find out? My husband. He came to see me yesterday. What did he say? Did he tell you I was mad? Well, he said you were in a highly nervous state. He wants to shut me up, so I won't be able to tell anyone, ever. To tell anyone what? How do I know I can trust you? You might be on his side. I am on no one's side, madame. I am on the side only of truth. What did he say about me? Did he say I had delusions? Yes, madame. To be frank, he did. You see? That's what it will sound like. And I have no proof. No real proof. Do you suspect your husband of killing Emily Arundel? I don't suspect. I know. How did he kill her? I don't know exactly, but he did 
kill her. It was on that last Sunday. The Sunday he went down there by himself? Yes. But you don't know what he did? No. Then how can you be sure? I... I can't tell you. I, I simply can't. That'll be him. I know it. Don't tell him I'm here, Miss Lawson. Don't tell him. 4351, Miss Lawson speaking. Oh, hello, Dr. Tanius. What did I tell you? No, I've heard nothing, I'm afraid. I thought she must be with you. Have you thought of ringing Teresa? I think it would be unwise for Mrs. Tanyos to remain here any longer. The Wellington Hotel is just round the corner. Quarry, if you go there with Mrs. Tanyos now, I'll follow on with the children and the luggage as soon as the coast is clear. Excellent, Hastings. Mrs. Tanyos and I will leave straight away. My heart's pounding. I feel quite sick. Do you think he could have seen us? Do not agitate yourself, madame. He is still at your hotel, waiting for news of you. Now... You must listen to me very carefully. I can't tell you any more. I can't. I've said too much already. I want you to tell me nothing. Suppose that I already know all the facts of the case. Suppose that everything you could tell me I have already guessed. I don't know what you mean. I know the truth, madame. This envelope contains all the facts of the case. After you have read this, telephone me at my apartment and tell me if I am right. Very well. I will do what you say. And now you must leave this hotel at once. Why must I do that? You must go to the Coniston Hotel near Euston Station. You will find a room booked in your name. Tell no one that you are going. But surely your husband, Lawson... madame, is a very clever man. He would not find it difficult to talk a foolish woman like Miss Lawson into giving him the address of this hotel. Leave here with the children as soon as possible. It is the children you must think of. You love them very much, do you not? Yes, monsieur. I love them. And I believe I understand what you are saying. Poirot and I sat in a cafe across the road from the hotel. After about ten minutes, we saw Mrs. Tanios and the children get into a taxi and drive away. So, we have done our part. Now it is upon the knees of the gods... Echo Poirot's apartment. Captain Hastings speaking. This is Mrs. Tanios. Oh. Will you tell Monsieur Poirot that he is perfectly right and ask him to call at my hotel tomorrow morning at ten o'clock? At ten tomorrow. I'll tell him, Mrs. Tanios. Thank you. Goodbye. At ten o'clock. Yes. Good. All marches well. Oh, I must admit I'm rather fogged. Whom exactly do we suspect? I really could not say whom you suspect, Hastings. Everyone in turn, I should imagine. You know, sometimes I think it amuses you to get me in this state. Oh, forgive me, mon ami. I am always nervous towards the end of a case. Nervous that something might go wrong. Is anything likely to go wrong? No, I do not think so. <laughs> I believe I have provided against every contingency... Then let's go out, take in a show, have a good dinner and see what tomorrow may bring. Oh, oh, Monsieur Poirot, such a terrible thing has happened. What tomorrow did bring was Miss Lawson, who somehow evaded the ever-vigilant George and rushed into the apartment just as I was opening my letters. It's Bella. She left the Wellington without a word to me. I went there late in the afternoon and they told me she'd gone. 
It makes me feel that perhaps Dr. Tanyos was right after all. Perhaps she was suffering from some kind of persecution mania. But is that all, Miss, Miss Lawson? <laughs> that she left the hotel without telling you? Oh, no. If that were all, it would be quite all right. Then what's happened? She's dead. Dead? She died in her sleep. An overdose of something. Oh. Chloral, I think they said it was. How did you get to hear about it, Miss Lawson? Who told you? They rang from the hotel. The Coniston, I think it's called. It seems my name and address was in her bag. Are you sure it was an accident? They didn't think it might be suicide. Oh, what a terrible idea, Captain Hastings. Of course she did seem very distressed, but she didn't need to have been. I mean, there wouldn't have been any difficulty about money. I was going to share it with her. I thought she understood that. It seems too awful to think of her taking her own life. Thank goodness those poor children weren't there to see it. They weren't there? No. Somebody came for them late in the afternoon. He brought a letter. Mrs. Tanyos came down with them to see them into the taxi. Uh, this person who came for them, it wasn't Tanyos? Oh, no. He didn't have a beard. That was the first thing I asked. They said he was a military-looking man. A military-looking man? Thank you for coming to tell us, Miss Orson. It must have been very distressing for you. Oh, is there anything I should do? No, no, no. You can leave it all to me. I should like you to go down to Little Greenhouse. The rest of the family will join you there tomorrow, as will Captain Hastings and myself. Oh, very well, monsieur. Oh, to think of poor Bella dying all alone. Goodbye. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Goodbye, Miss Lawson. Oh. <sighs> Is that what you feared last night, Poirot? when you said you were always nervous towards the end of a case. I feared another death, yes. You don't think it was an accident? No, Hastings, it was no accident. So, who was this person who came to take the children? Clearly it was someone in whom Mrs. Tanyos had confidence. Or rather, it was someone sent by a third party in whom Mrs. Tanyos had confidence. The real agent kept himself in the background. And the letter came from this person? Yes. And what happened to this letter? Mrs. Tanyos would have been instructed to burn it. But what about your resume of the case? That too will have been burned. But it is all in the little grey cells of Hercule Poirot. I will reveal everything tomorrow when we join the rest of the family at Little Greenhouse. Six people assembled in the drawing-room of Little Green House. Hercule Poirot, standing by the mantelpiece, Charles and Teresa on the sofa, Dr. Tanyos, with a black band round his arm, sat in a grandfather chair. Miss Lawson, red-eyed, was perched on a stool directly facing Poirot. I knew that one of these people must be the murderer. But which... We are here to inquire into the death of Emily Arundel on the 1st of May. There are four possibilities. That she died naturally, that her death was the result of an accident, that she took her own life, or that she was murdered. No inquest was held at the time of her death, since it was assumed that she had died of natural causes. And although there was sufficient suspicion to justify an exhumation, I did not advocate it for the simple reason that my client would not have wished it. So who is your client, Monsieur Poirot? My client is Emily Arundel, 
And her particular desire was that there should be no scandal. I knew I should never have let myself be taken in by that silly story about contesting the will. Miss Arundel wrote to me in considerable distress of mind after she had her fall, a fall supposedly caused by her dog's ball. But she herself knew it was no accident. Somebody had tried to kill her. She was certain that the attempt could only have been made by one of the members of her family staying in the house at the time, and she was not going to let it happen again. And so she took two steps. She wrote to me, and she changed her will, partly, I believe, out of spite towards her family, and more importantly, to protect herself. But how could she protect herself by changing her will? Because she had a very definite suspicion of one member of the family, and she was concerned for the honour of the Arundels. She was certain that person was an Arundel and a man. Well, that doesn't leave much room for doubt, does it? And Charles had come close to disgracing the family honour before. A little matter of forging her name on a cheque. She never forgave me for that. Only two days before the accident happened, he had asked her for money and had been refused. And I told her she was going the right way to getting herself bumped off. Yes, we've been through all that. It was a joke, for heaven's sake. And was it a joke to take weed killer from the gardener's shed... How did you find that out? But I'd never have gone through with it. I haven't the nerve. No, I believe you, Mr. Arundel. It is not your way. Nevertheless, your aunt sent for her solicitor, Mr. Purvis, and made a new will. She told me what she'd done. She even showed it to me. Why didn't you tell me? Well, to, to be perfectly honest, I felt a tiny bit guilty. It was entirely due to me she'd changed her will and... Done you out of a very handsome inheritance. Only one person stood to benefit from the new will, and if Miss Lawson had herself staged the so-called accident... I did nothing of the kind. It's quite outrageous no, uh, uh, to me. A little patience, mademoiselle. I was saying that if Miss Lawson had staged the accident, it would have been a way of making sure that Miss Arundel disinherited her close family. But I did not stage the accident! <laughs> I am sorry for the interruption, Monsieur Poirot. I did give strict instructions. But Master Bob's intervention was timed to perfection. For we must return to the little matter of his ball. Everyone assumed that he was responsible for the accident, but you knew, Miss Lawson, that he could not have left his ball on the stairs because he had been out of the house all night. If you had revealed that fact, it would have confirmed Miss Arundel's suspicions about her family, but you chose to keep silent. I was certain one of her close relatives must have been responsible, but I didn't want her to know. I wanted to spare her feelings. So how did the old lady come to fall down the stairs? A tripwire had been stretched across the top of the stairs. Let and... us pass on to the second attempt on Miss Arundel's life, an attempt which most unfortunately succeeded. At first, everything seemed to confirm Dr. Granger's conclusion that there was nothing unnatural about her death. But then I learned a more significant fact. On the evening Miss Arundel was taken ill... Isabel and Julia Tripp had come round after dinner. Oh, well, they're barking mad. What have they got to 
got to do with it? Miss Arundel was persuaded by them to take part in a séance, and they told me that a halo of light had appeared round her head. Oh, come on, Monsieur Poirot. Surely you're not going to be taken in no, by a... I saw it. It was like a luminous ribbon coming out of her mouth. What it actually amounted to, as I am sure you will be aware, Dr. Tanyos, was that on the night in question, Miss Arundel's breath was phosphorescent. Oh. And that could only mean that someone had administered phosphorus to her in some shape or form. But what was so diabolically clever was that diagnostically the effects of phosphorus poison would have exactly resembled another attack of the liver trouble from which Miss Arundel had suffered for years. So Dr. Granger wouldn't have noticed anything suspicious? Exactly. Now, phosphorus is not difficult to get hold of. A few foreign matches would have been sufficient for the murderer's purpose. And did your suspicions turn towards me, Monsieur Poirot? Yes, Dr. Tanyas. You had the motive and the opportunity. But the facts of phosphorus poisoning are not difficult to come by. Anyone could find them in a medical textbook. And I was convinced that the first murder attempt, the incident of the dog's pull, was essentially a woman's idea. And you were quite right. I saw Teresa quite clearly kneeling on the staircase. It wasn't me. I would never have tried to harm Aunt Emily. Would you not, mademoiselle? You are desperate for money. You are cold and ruthless and not over-scrupulous. I may be all those things, Monsieur Poirot, but I could not kill a living, breathing human creature. I simply couldn't. I believe you, mademoiselle. And there was something fundamentally wrong in Miss Lawson's story about the figure she saw on the staircase. You're not suggesting I made the whole thing up. No, 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 not in the least, Miss Lawson. But the only reason you were able to identify the figure you saw kneeling on the staircase was by the brooch she was wearing. Yes, it had Teresa's initials on it. T.A. There was no doubt about it. Good Lord, I, I think I've got it. What is it that you have got, Mon Um, Miss Lawson said she saw the woman reflected in the mirror, so the initials would have been reversed. It wasn't T.A. at all, but A.T. But who on earth is A.T.? Well, at least that lets me out. How could I have been so stupid? It was Bella. She was named after her mother. Arabella. Poor Bella. She always copied my things. She must have seen me wearing mine and wanted one for herself. But I'd never have thought she was capable When of... did you begin to suspect my poor wife, Monsieur Poirot? From the moment I saw her. I realised at once she was afraid. And she saw I knew that. So she attempted to give a performance of a woman who was afraid for her husband... And then she changed tactics, playing the role of a woman who was afraid of her husband. <laughs> she did it very cleverly, but she could hardly be both. She never really loved me. I think she only married me because she did not want to be an old maid. And then there were the children. But you were devoted to her, were you not? Utterly. 
The only thing that illuminated her life was the expectation of the fortune she would inherit from her aunt. It would give her the independence she craved. It would have enabled her to take the children away from She was passionately attached to them and jealous of their affection for you. After a time, she grew impatient. She could not wait for her aunt to die, and she was desperate for her freedom. I suspect she had already planned the murder before you both returned to England from Smyrna. And then she must have seen Bob's game with the baller, and it gave her an idea. So much simpler than phosphorus poisoning. Her aunt fell headlong down the stairs, but survived. And so, quietly and determinedly, this unhappy, ambitious woman put her original plan into action. But how did she actually go about it? She could not have failed to notice the patent capsules that her aunt took before every meal. To open a capsule, insert the phosphorus, and close it up again was child's play. And when Aunt Emily did swallow the poison capsule, Bella would probably be miles away from market basing. So what happened when Bella discovered that she wasn't going to inherit all that lovely money after all? She set to work to make you feel guilty. Did she not, Miss Lawson? I've been so wicked. So very wicked. You see, I was curious to know what was in the new will Purvis had drawn up for Miss Arundel. So when she was sleeping, I unlocked the drawer of her desk and took a look at it. And discovered she'd left everything to you. All the money that should rightfully have come to us. I didn't know how much it was, of course. And then, when she was so ill, she asked to see the will. I felt sure she was going to destroy it, so I told her it had gone back to Mr Purvis. She told me to get it from him at once. But then she died and it was too late to do anything about it. What a crafty little soul you are, Miss Lawson. And I always thought butter wouldn't melt in your mouth. I felt as if I'd embezzled the money. So when Bella came to see me, I told her she could have half of it. You see, Mrs. Tanyos was succeeding in her objective. Was that why Bella didn't want to contest the will? Because she hoped she might get all the money in the end? I believe so, mademoiselle. And I actually believed she wanted to respect Aunt Emily's wishes. At the same time, she was preparing to rid herself of her husband. She had in her possession a lethal dose of chloral, which she had obtained by forging your signature, Doctor. I was certain that her next step would be to take your life, and I had to make certain that she would kill no more. So I wrote out my construction of the case, telling her what I knew had happened, and gave it to her in an envelope. So that was why she killed herself. Was it not the best way? There was one night when she wanted me to take a sleeping draught. She said I needed rest. There was something in her face, and I poured it away. That was when I began to believe her mind was going. Poor Bella. She was much too good for me. Always. A very odd epitaph, I thought, for a self-confessed murderess. There remained only one other little matter to be sorted out. Come on, old man. You can't take your ball out on a walk, you know. Go and put it down. <laughs> My word, Pyro, it's good to have a dog again. The spoils of war, Hastings. Well, 
now that Little Green House is on the market again and Miss Lawson has decided to share her fortune with the Arundels and the Tanyos children, somebody's got to take care of Bob. I was under the impression that Miss Lawson had given him to me. But you'll be no good with a dog, Poirot. You're not familiar with dog psychology. Hmm. Hmm? Try it. Go on. Try and call him to you. Uh, <coughs> uh, Monsieur Bob. Easy. Venezi Seabob. No, you see, he won't budge. He knows who his master is. <laughs> we understand each other perfectly, don't we, Bob? In part two of Agatha Christie's Dumb Witness, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, Captain Hastings, Simon Williams, Miss Lawson, Joanna David. Bella Tanios, Becky Hindley, Dr. Tanios, Sam Dale, Teresa Arundel, Tracy Wiles, Charles Arundel, Ivan Meredith, the chemist, Damien Lynch, and Bob the Dog, Richard Beadsmore. The music was composed by Tom Smale. Dumb Witness was dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. Nostalgic Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>